You're tuned into Fork Podcast. This week, we're talking to Alexandre Ferrari Roy, co-founder and president of Microhabitat Montreal. He shares a story of how he developed a business that contributes to the ecological diversity of urban centers and educates consumers about our food quality. All the food that we buy in our supermarkets are selected for the wrong reasons. The traits that are selected upon include the way the fruit looks and also how it's going to be preserved on the shelf. We actually choose fruits and vegetables that taste good, that have certain characteristics that you would never find in a supermarket. Hi and welcome to Fork Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host, and today I'm with Alexandre Ferrari Roy. He is the co-founder and president of Microhabitat Montreal. Alex, welcome to Fork Podcast. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here with you in our offices. Yes, we are actually in the headquarters of uh, Microhabitat Montreal. Beautiful place. And I actually was down here last week and you took me on a tour of um, one of your urban gardens. And I got to say, Alex, it really made my day. Yeah, it was so positive, the experience to see what you're doing. And you, um, you explained this whole sort of microbiome to me, what was going on over there in your garden. So maybe you can share a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you get into this and what is microhabitat? So the reason why I decided to start this business was... Um I was uh, studying in uh, environmental sciences um, and actually specializing in food production. And during that time, I actually had friends um, that were, uh, they started a company called Alveol. Uh, we saw, we quickly saw their beehives uh, last time we were visiting a garden. And uh, so I was studying and my friends started this concept where they would install beehives on people's rooftops. And they wouldn't sell the honey, but they would sell the service. So, uh, and also the materials related to uh, the service. And I just thought thought it was a great idea, and it was an unexploited market. And I figured that since I was studying urban agriculture, uh, that you know, trying to bring urban agriculture to the city was something that could be easily done if, uh, if you're willing to, to put the time and effort to try to develop those techniques and that it would be a great complementary service to offer um, with Alveol. So I approached them at the time and asked them uh, if they thought the idea was good and um, they, they rejected me right, right away because uh, they, 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 they thought the idea was uh, kind of... Uh, too far away from the bees like their their business is really focused all around the bees and since I was bringing the food and vegetable component to the equation they thought it was becoming a little bit too complex so but they told me they said it's a great idea but we're not the right partners Um, so that's kind of how it started Uh, how did you say so you detoured off of that though they so they said that they weren't really interested in partnering up with you um you had this vision for this company that was doing urban gardening vegetables they say no we're not necessarily interested um then you what did you do so basically they said no and then there was a but there's a but but we're willing to support you in your efforts um, so they, they actually managed to um, find a budget and in order for me to be able to develop the idea on one of the rooftops that they were already using. It was actually on the rooftop of my, the founder of Alveol's, uh, his mother on her rooftop in Verdun. And um, 
So they gave me the funds to do the project. They gave me the resources because they had like the trucks. And um, actually, even the day of the installation, they were there. They they uh, they helped me with like a lift. So we had to the the build the the rooftop was on like the fourth floor. So we had to find a way to bring all the soil up. Uh, so they actually helped me with all the logistics uh, to get the garden going. And they financed the project. And they followed through with me like during like the whole summer. You know, we were we spent a lot more time together after that because, you know, I was taking care of the garden of a garden where they had a beehive and they wanted to use that space as a promotional space for their beehives. So, yeah. So I think that um, just so people understand when I came in here and I did a tour with you of the garden, you guys are much more than just a, you know, growing vegetables for the offices where you're setting the, the gardens up on rooftops. You're actually about education. Exactly. Yeah. So we, there's a whole education component to our service. So any the way I see it is that a garden is actually a learning platform. So uh, when we approach uh, clients, you know, we tell them that they they have uh, if they have the space, you know, to take on one of these projects that that space can further further become also a learning platform for their employees. So what is it, what? Do you see as your goal with your garden? So obviously it's your business, which I would do want to get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. But um, from the standpoint of what you're personally trying to accomplish with making this an educational platform as well, what what are you hoping to see come out of that? There's a proverb that says you can't change the world, but you can change yourself. And that was uh, that was the proverb that I decided to to use as a, a as an example. And I figured that, you know, if I was able to create something for myself that made me happy, uh, then I'd be able to, uh, you know, transfer that happiness to other people. And um, so that was kind of the, the reasoning that, that, I, that I had. And that's kind of why I decided to go to try to conform and create a company within this capitalistic system, which, you know, we, we all know that it's because of capitalism that, you know, that we exploit resources and that, you know, that we, we overuse the resources that we have on our planet. Yeah, I, I, I felt that that was really the main, the main issue was, you know, do you want to change the world within the framework or do you go out of the framework and try to change the world? And I feel like it's a lot easier to change the world within the framework. Yeah, perhaps outside of the framework is where innovation can happen, where somebody has a vision for something better, but you have to take that idea and come back in to the framework to present the ideas to people, right? Exactly. The visionary has this vision often outside on the per- or on the periphery, mm-hmm. but they need to bring it back in and learn how to implement it from within the system. So now, let's turn you back around to your origins in this business. Yes, absolutely. I'm, yeah, I'm because I'm really curious because you're young. You're 28 years old, correct? 28. I think there's a lot of young people who think that, that everyone thinks, uh, you know, of Zuckerberg, you know, that, that uh, entrepreneurship starts at a young age now and uh, that you're going to be a multimillionaire before the age of 30. But if you actually look at the statistics, it's actually 45 years and up where you see these blockbuster businesses being started um, 45 years old and up, the, the startup entrepreneurs. And 
But I think because in the media right now, we push so much these young, bright, you know, upcomers. And, and now everyone's of the, not everyone, but many young people are of the mindset that a business worth doing needs to be done now. And I need to be big and I need to boom right from the start. And I definitely need to be a millionaire and a baller before I'm 30 years old. And this is, we know this is an internal dialogue going on. And mm. what can you share with people? I know, I mean, older people, people who are in their 50s who are looking to be entrepreneurs sometimes might even feel like it's too late, you know? And then mm. there's nothing worse than a 25-year-old who feels like it's too late. I mean, mm. they got the rest of their life ahead of them. So what do you say to young people who are thinking about starting a business or are in a business and feeling discouraged? What what can you lend to us? What I would say is when you're thinking or when you're when you're looking at a business, the way you should be looking at it is as an investment. Investments rarely rarely pay out right away. You know, that those are rare, rare investments that happen. And that's kind of more like winning the lottery, I would say. Mm-hmm. And there's only a very, very small fraction of people that actually win the lottery if you compare it to who actually like plays lottery. Mm-hmm. To, when you're starting a business, you can't tell yourself, you know, that you're that you want to, you know, become rich from like in in a night, you know. So it's it's a lot of investments when and a lot of sacrifices that you're going to do at the start, and little by little, these these sacrifices and these investments that you're putting into the company are going to grow and grow and grow, and as time goes by, uh, your investments are actually compiling on on themselves and. And you can actually reach a sort of like ex- exponential growth um, if you if you take the time to you know wait it out you know so so it's really a question of time I would say and and do you, do you feel like you drew on pre existing skills before you came into your business like a- absolutely I would say to any business person who wants to start a business do not start a business in something that you don't know what you're doing mm-hmm. like you need to be a pro before jumping into the business and and a pro meaning that you're drawing i mean i listen to you you're drawing on many different skills you're not just drawing on your knowledge of agriculture you're i mean you and i have had a few conversations where you you actually are quite a generalist you see like the general landscape and then you can bring it in specific yeah i mean i was lucky in the sense where both of my parents were entrepreneurs my dad he's uh, a doctor but he he started um he started uh, his own uh, like clinic and my mother was always she's an artist and she was always uh, she had like her own jewelry business and so growing up I was always exposed to my parents at being as like entrepreneurial in a way uh, they never really got down to like the real like the real information like my dad never told me how much he's making and you know but but I kind of had that sense of, you know, I like kind of like grew up seeing my parents working hard and struggling. And they started off when I was young with a lot less than what they have now, you know. And that's because I saw them sacrifice and I saw them work hard. And that is what kind of inspired me also, you know. And I think that, yeah, like I, I really think that when you're a business person, you can't only rely on one specific set of skills like you need to have a general uh, 
uh, like a general set yeah, of skills. Absolutely. And uh, you kind of like, and when I was talking about being a pro before jumping into the business, I can kind of rephrase this in, in a way that like it's important to know what business you're jumping in. Mm-hmm. And it, it's important for you to know the basics of the, of the business or to have a basic set of skills, which will allow you to, to thrive early. And from that you can grow, you know? So. Yeah. I think the the difference between um, people, younger people today versus how I interpreted when you said a pro, I didn't think you, you had to be a specialist. I think a lot of people listening might have thought, Oh, I got to be a specialist. In fact, there is more, um, research that would support the fact that a generalist goes in, does what, and that I interpreted it as a pro meaning I'm coming in with thick skin. I've been through a bit of the school of hard knocks. I've thought this through. I have my education, but I have this work experience. Mm-hmm. I've sort of gotten out of the radical mindset, mm-hmm. right? The, yeah. the demonstrator on the street. I've had the conversations with my family and my loved ones, and now I've made my choice. I'm an entrepreneur now. Right. That's how I interpreted. Interesting, right? I didn't. I didn't think of you as saying you had to be a specialist first. Like I, I don't think this. Like I, I was maybe a bit extreme when I said you have to be a pro. But what I <laughs> meant really was you can't jump in into a business without knowing, you know, how to run the business. Because right off the bat, you're gonna have to run the business, and it's easy. Like you need to once you know like the general set of skills that are required in order to run the business, then you can get better and better and better. And you work on that and you can improve your skills. You can become more efficient. And in a way your clients are going to become, are going to be more and more satisfied with the product that you offer. Uh, But you still have to have that general set of skills and you still have to have the confidence in order to jump and find your first couple of clients. Yeah. And I think there's an, um, people might imagine you know, here's Alex on the rooftop in the summer sun and his golden blonde hair and his sleeves rolled up and the bees and it all sounds so, so like, oh my God, that's a beautiful summer. That's a job. I mean, I'm, I'm communing with nature. No, I bet you spend a lot of time sitting at that desk back there doing a lot of paperwork, pulling the blonde hairs out of your head, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, that's a reality of business. But also every business is different, you know? So we, there's no general rule for a business in the sense where every business is different, the same way that every person is different on this planet. Uh, so maybe what worked for me, for my business, might not work for you with your business. And depending on the type of business, you know, maybe won't need like for for us you know we right away you know we started off by finding clients and 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 creating you know something with you know with the resources that we had but you know some other businesses they might spend 10 or you know 15 years doing research and development before hitting that market you know so that might be a a business that's that's a business model that's completely different than ours Mm -hmm. was there ever a point in your life or career were really were most challenged you you hit this this place that you had to overcome you were able to get through it and past it and and you know yeah yeah i'm like early on with the business that what made the thing was was that 
in the early stages of the business, we weren't, I wasn't making that much money. I didn't have partners. Uh, my, my partner, Arlan, she joined me about two years after I created like the name and that I already had a couple clients going. Uh, but we're really in the like early, early stage of the business. And I was uh, barely able to make it, you know, in the sense where uh, I wasn't generating that much profit from the business and I wasn't paying myself a salary. And so on the sidelines, I had to work during the weekends, uh, during like uh, in, in bars, basically. So I was uh, I spent 10 years working in the restaurant industry. And when I uh, when I graduated from high uh, from university, uh, I had an opportunity to get a job as a bartender. Uh, during the weekend and I took it because I knew that with my business like I needed a sort of like financial support and um, and yeah well, the hardest part was actually to get out of that was to get out of the cycle of working during the week and then working on the weekends you know I was doing for about two years seven days of, of seven days yeah. of a, a week of working in order to be able to run my business and the reason why I was willing to do that was because I really loved you know working in gardens and it this I had a vision and I and I and I kept with it but the hardest part that was to really like draw the line at some point and, and say all right I'm risking everything by you know leaving aside my other sources of revenue and fully focusing on my business and yeah. Alex, you just said it though. You said, I loved gardening. Mm -hmm. I think we always see that in entrepreneurial endeavor, which is choose something you love, you love, because then it can get you through those hard, dark times because we never know how long we need to bash at something to find the success. As long as it's giving you little, feeding you some little signs of success, we don't want to be running on a treadmill and not going anywhere. But I think it's the love that gets you through that, the hardship. It is, it is. And people see that love and then people want to join into that and people want to feel that love, you know? So that's yeah. kind of what inspired other people, I would say. And, and also that's what inspired some of our clients to hop on, uh, like to hire us as uh, as like a developer for their rooftops. Okay, so in closing now, I just want to ask you, I'm a business owner and, mm -hmm. you know, I've got a, a bare rooftop and I'm listening, I'm thinking bees and tomatoes. And so what do you bring to me? If I come to you and say, hey, Alex, I like this idea. What do you guys, what do you do that will bring my employees and my business something. What is that? So we, when we're when we're selling the the concept of microhabitat, what we're we're, we're actually selling to our clients is the idea, the concept, uh, the lifestyle that comes with it. Um, we tell our clients that you know if they take the budget that we ask from them in order to develop that budget, and they go to the supermarket, they could probably buy five times more food than what's actually going to come out of the garden, but the added value that it brings to that business, the, the opportunities that it, it brings to the business, the, the lifestyle that it brings to, the, in, to their employees. It's an extracurricular activity for the employees. They've got this garden to tend to. Do they actually help you with the garden? Yeah, well, we have, uh, like, it, it really depends on every client. There's some, some clients that they actually... Uh, hire us to develop a project and their employees are not at all implicated we're the only ones allowed on the rooftop and all the food goes to food banks so that's like oh, a purely social 
formula. Like, and every client has like a specific type of formula. Um, let's say some of our clients like McCoslin, for example, they've, uh, so all the food that's grown there goes uh, to the Terrasse Saint-Ambroise. So they use it uh, for their food. They make pizzas and uh, for all the food that they make. Um, and also the food is di distributed within the employees. So it gives access to those to the employees. Uh, so you guys food. grow some substantial amounts of food for some companies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it ranges between, so far, I would say about 150 pounds to about 500 pounds of food per garden. Holy smokes. That's incredible, man. Yeah, it's great. All right. So, well, And the thing is, is that also the quality of the food that we grow is uh, superior to the varieties that are found in supermarkets because... Um, this is some information that uh, we give during our workshops is that a lot of, well, all the food that we buy in our supermarkets are selected for the wrong reasons. So the, the traits that are selected upon include the way the fruit looks and also how it's going to be preserved on the shelf. Whereas us, we actually choose fruits and vegetables that taste good and that are, are uh, varieties that will maybe produce a little bit less, but that have... Um, that have certain characteristics that you would never find in a supermarket. Well, listen, Alex, I'm really happy we had this chance to talk. Thank you last week for that amazing tour of one of your gardens. And um, if anybody out there, any office or building, buildings that have that spare space and you're looking to green up your downtown city and give bees a happy place right bees and all the pollinators a happy place to live we've discussed that that's an important part of the environment too right pollination it is, it is. so uh, our our cities are you know are lacking vegetation and you know the rooftop rooftops and also the side of buildings are ideal places to grow food and to increase our our, our city's biodiversity so you know why not do it why not? I can't think of one reason. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much for being on Fork Podcast. And um, I will put your contact information, your Instagram on the show notes. And thank you so much for being on Fork Podcast. Well, thank you for listening. You've been a great host. Thank you. You have an awesome day. And you guys out there have an awesome day too. Bye, guys. Thank you.